Hey, Alicia, you got your mug? Hey, Jamie girl, I got my glass. Let's get into this black tea. This is black tea, your bottomless cup of empowerment, political education, and black excellence. Every month, we bring you raw and uncut news, spilling the tea on all of the latest hot-button social issues and events. For the culture. That's right. Most folks know by now that the government has finally approved COVID-19 relief package that includes another stimulus check eligible for up to $1,400 a person. Yep, that's right. And by now, most of you know the drill. So to qualify, you need to make less than 75K or less than uh, 112K as a couple. And if you do so, you qualify for a $1,400 stimulus check and get an additional $1,400 per dependent. Where we're at now, most people have already gotten their checks, and they haven't been playing about them. They named them Biden bucks. They've named them Kamala Cash. And, you know, for me, I was really excited when I got mine. Do you want to know what I did, Alicia? I don't know if I do want to know, but what'd you do? (laughs) (laughs) What'd you do? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to show you. I got to show you. you got hit with the stimmy because that means that the campaign will be getting hit i am happy to know <laughs> that for, for helping me get that tea that i didn't have she's funny she's a <laughs> uh, but for real since most of y'all know this we don't want to spend too much time getting into that i want to get into the tea get those critical thinking skills going so we all know about the stimmy but what i want i want to talk about the package more holistically Right, right. That's right. So as we know, it wasn't just a stimulus package. It was a holistic COVID-19 relief package. And some of the other good things in the package included $13 billion in emergency food assistance for the SNAP program. And college, get your your bag, because I heard some with the new eligibility helps college students be more eligible. And I remember those minutal days. So go ahead and get that in. That's right. Y'all better check those qualifications. So yes, for that, and then for food banks and and other community development institutions that do finance and development and and other entities that make more targeted investments specifically to help low-income and minority communities withstand the impacts of COVID-19. Yes, Jamie, all good things, all good things. And, you know, me being the mental health advocate that I am, I definitely want to know that the package also includes $5 billion for mental health services and substance abuse prevention and treatment, including funding for certified community behavioral health clinics and state opioid response grant programs, which is really good that they have funds specifically blocked off for those because people of lower income are able to, you know, go to those clinics and access those services. <clears throat> However, I also wouldn't be me if I didn't say that there are some things that the package is missing. And it's important to know what our government is deciding to invest in and not to invest in. 
So in reference to that $5 billion that I mentioned earlier, what's also missing is that um, Congress requiring each state to sum submit a report on how they're using federal funding to support local programs for treatment and prevention substance disorders. Um, so just not really being clear on the criteria of, of how it can be used, which in the healthcare system can lead to mismanagement and can lead to certain populations that really need the dire access, not accessing it because it has no eligibility criteria. Mm -hmm. And then what's also missing is an extension of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, um, an employer paid leave requirement. So that is basically it gave funding so that folks who needed to take off time off specifically before because of the Rona, they could do it through this, which comes to the government and goes to companies. But that is not in this new package. Um, so, yeah, those are just things that I feel like are really and critical, really important, and certainly people could use but are not there. Right, right. I definitely agree with all of those points. And I think for me, um, the biggest positive things that came out of it were the additional funding going directly to the states. There was 300 plus billion that went to states, which we did not see in the previous administration's rollout of COVID-19 relief. And a lot of that emphasis has been on dollars to help open schools, which is something that has become a really big part of the conversation now that we're getting into another school year and we're wanting to make sure that students, you know, aren't still having to be educated from home. Um, I personally would have liked to see some other uh, resolutions such as fixing the problem with the PPP disbursements. Those were monies that uh, went to companies for paycheck protection. And a lot of that process wasn't resolved, but we just put more money into the program instead of working on fixing the process and making sure smaller businesses were able to get those disbursements. So that's my biggest critique. Um, critique. But I think overall, the legislation is really historic in that it was something that was passed through bipartisan, um, through the congressional legislature. Um, and it was also something that was such a big amount of dollar that we haven't seen. So we still have to give credit where credit's due to Biden and Kamala for getting this through and getting this on track to resolving all of COVID. So now that that conversation's out of the way, I also want to bring us back to home and talk about local elections, which is a favorite here at Black Tea, as y'all know. So as you know, we were talking about the March 2nd primaries that happened this past month, and we had St. Louis primaries. So Alicia, we can get into that next. This episode of Black Tea is brought to you by the Divided City Initiative. The Divided City is a joint project of the Center for the Humanities and the Sam Fox School, College of Architecture and Urban Design at Washington University, right here in St. Louis. The Divided City is funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Yeah, so basically a quick recap. Um, on March 2nd in St. Louis, we voted for our St. Louis City Mayor. Um, there were four candidates, Cara Spencer, Andrew Jones, Louis Reed, and Tashara Jones. Of them, Tashara, Ms. Spencer, and Ms. Jones advanced to the April election. Um, I'm just, you know, I think, like, obviously, St. Louis is going to have another woman candidate for mayor this time. I think that we're at a point now where we're trying to, you know, larger than just having a woman mayor, we're trying to figure out what exactly do we want that woman to represent? Um, Car and Tashar have a lot. People often talk about their similarities, but now as a city, and we go to the polls on April 6th, we're going to vote about, like, what differences are significant to us and what, you know, it's a racial question, right? Tashar is Black, Car is white, um, so we got to get into that. They have different backgrounds, different histories. Um, so on April 6th, we'll all be trying to figure out what type of 
what type of representation do we want for real? Um, so we'll definitely keep y'all updated on that and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And outside of the mayoral race, there are other candidates on the ballot. So for the aldermanic races, every odd numbered ward is going to be um, having a challenger on the ballot uh, at that time and also a special election in the 12th ward. Um, but the other race that I want to talk about today is the school board election because y'all's other second best black tea host is actually a candidate in the school board race. Okay, y'all, round of applause for Alicia. I'm so proud and excited for her um, because, you know, Black Tea is not just about talking about what's going on. It's being about that action. It's about being active in our community and Alicia is out there doing it for us. Um, So we're going to let her tell y'all a little bit about her race and about the candidacy. Um, We're going to apologize to the people. You said second best since we're talking about me, not you. First best. You would be Mm. the second best. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always honest with my listener. I have to tell them the (laughs) real. Okay. <laughs> we'll let the simples decide. We'll let the simples decide. <laughs> for real, all love, all love. Um, so the way school board elections work is that there are seven seats right now for this election. There are three spots available, so you'll be able to vote for um, up to three candidates to fill those seats. And, and right now, um, with the current candidate slate, there's only one incumbent that's also running for re-election. So there's going to be completely new um, other two members on the school board with this election. So so that's the kind of layout, that's the landscape. Alicia, uh, to start us off, can you just tell us, like, you know, what made you want to do this? What made you want to get out there and run for school board in particular? So I think it's very similar reasons, actually, to the reason reasons why um, I had the idea of, like, wanting to do Black Tea. I think that a lot of people are just, like, unaware and uninformed of things. But even bigger than that is I think that that's actually actually intentional um, on behalf of those with the power that we, that certain groups of people are not engaged politically and they're not kept in the loop about what's going on because what you don't know about, you can't, you know, you can't dissent and you can't support. Um, So I decided to run for school board because people really don't pay attention to school board elections, even though we constantly talk about how important our children is. And, you know, we know from data that it's better to start implementing things in children early and human beings early, and they're more likely to develop into it. We often don't look over school boards. And I think St. Louis is really interesting because we haven't had local control for that long. So we just got that back recently. Um, And it's a dire time for some good leadership for people who are willing to make noise and be real advocates. So I was like, you know, I'm going to run because I know that I can bring like education has been the thing to change my life. And so I know that I want every scholar in the city to have that. I also know that I want more people to pay attention. And if I'm involved and I'm on that seat, like one of my top goals is transparency and making sure that as I'm getting information, other people are too, so that we're really engaging, you know, our system on every level possible and that our voice is in the mix. Yeah, no, I really, I really like what you said, particularly about highlighting the fact that we don't pay attention enough to these local races impacting our children. And like, we want to make sure that we're making the city better, not just in the now, but for the future. And that starts with children and emphasizing what kind of education we're giving to our children. Um, So I can definitely, definitely relate to that and vouch for the fact that, you know, this has been a passion that you've had since day one. We went to high school together, so we were educated (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) 
right? right? Um, and, and, and we've been, you know, we were at Cardinal Ritter, but we both had experiences in the private school system and in the public school system. And so we recognize that disparity and we have that firsthand experience about what, um, what resources are important and what resources could be pouring into our schools to help make students better. And so I think that's something really important. And the other thing to highlight is that, you know, you're, you know, the youngest candidate out there running, right? We aren't that far away from our primary secondary school days. So we remember this. Um, And so I think that's something else that's really powerful and, and that you spoke to a little bit and emphasizing that. So definitely, definitely agree. Um, And I guess the other thing I would want to ask is, like, what has it been like being out there? What's been the most, you know, surprising thing about actually being a candidate and running? I think for me, the most surprising thing is, you know, a lot of people would expect, like, I'm I'm the youngest one running, right? I'm 25. Um, I'm known, like, I don't have any kids yet. Um, so you would think, like, you would hear that, oh, it's a young Black girl who's running for the first time. Like, she, it must, it must be hard for her to kind of get into these circles and, and get support. But uh, the most surprising thing has been for me is that I kind of realized that I actually am a part of, like, a large coalition of people who, you know, because I've been an activist and because I've been doing this work in the community, they, you know, when I was just having this idea and telling people like, hey, I'm thinking about running, they were like, oh, you should do it. And then like, they also have all the information to tell me where to go to find financial reports or put me in touch with school board members and other areas that have done powerful, great things. You know, like I was just instantly met with all this support and like campaigning and like getting the the support that I have from like Rasheen, who we had on the show, right? And I've known him since since 2014, but now he's able to endorse me as a state representative um, or getting folks like the potentially our next mayoral candidate to endorse me. Um, just like community organizations like Action STL, who I've been there from like known them since their inception and and just have a lot of have seen the good work that they do and been a part of that work and now like these folks are able to just you know Megan Green like they're just able to plug in now and like support it so for me that's been the most surprising thing is realizing like I've learned from Black Tea you know and that's kind of why we're doing this is because there are like there's some folks out here that are truly passionate about community that have similar political alignments we want the same things the best for our people and our communities and so like I've been able to really see that come out and play out so that's been for me like in times where you might think I might be the least experienced one or the least um you know the 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 least known one I've actually been um you know someone who's able to plug right into this network that we have in St. Louis and really observe it and think about the ways that we can use it moving forward to continue to like just live it right and heal folks which is my life goal mission yes ma'am that holistic holistic education right No, I I definitely think that's something that um, is really inspiring to hear um, because we have a lot of we have a lot of sippers um, that are passionate about community work, active in community work. And we have a lot of sippers that just want to educate, you know, themselves. And so I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, community power is real. Network is real. um, And so when you get out there and invest in things, um, the community will pour right back into you in your time of need as well, which is what sounds like has been happening in your campaign. Campaign, which is what I've witnessed, you know, seeing and supporting your campaign. So I right, think we was canvassing together, y'all. Just, just, to, 
<laughs> y'all sippers. We, you know, and that like moments like that make a campaign. Like this is my best friend from high school. Where you know when you were starting UCYS or when we were just like fifteen or sixteen to like here we are ten years later. We have our own show and one of us running for office and the other one is like helping them finna commit their whole Sunday to helping them canvas. Like those will be the parts that I will remember for life and really make all of the stress that comes with campaigning worth it. Right. You all have heard it here. There is real love. Don't ever let her tell you otherwise <laughs> out there on a Sunday. Okay. For Alicia. Okay. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, girl, before we wrap up the show, um, let's also just um, tell everybody, you know, what is your vision? What is, you know, if you had to think about the most important thing that you want the scholars that will be in the school when you're on the school board um, to take away from your leadership, what will that be? I think the biggest thing that I would like for the scholars to take away is I just want them to know that they are capable of representing themselves. I want them to know that they're good enough. You know, I think that for me running, I definitely, you know, the campaign is going great. And I definitely think we can bring this home April 6th. But also, like, I think just seeing someone who is young and passionate about their community go for it is a good thing to have in our environment, having our energy, having our aura. So I hope that the students seeing that. And then should I win, like, I want them to just see me up there and know, like, you got to be 24 to run here I am 25 doing it like you can critically think people don't need to speak for you people should be speaking with you um I want them to take that away and then obviously you know mental health is really my thing and so I really hope to be able to bring like wraparound services and more mental health access to our scholars to our to the parents of the scholars to our our teachers um like I'm really hoping what I talked about in the last question a little bit like the relationships that I have with community leaders and and other elected officials being able to use that to bring those resources to the district and be able to support like our staff and our stakeholders and especially our scholars um in mental health. So if they just walk away, you know, if there's just one student that graduates and is like more open to the idea of therapy as like a preventative measure, you nothing has to be wrong. Like you can just go, just like you go to the doctor to get a physical, nothing's been wrong, you go to therapy like that. Like I want them to be open to mental health and open to growing the best version of themselves all the way. And then hopefully once as a district, we put those tools in place for them to get that. Want them to take those tools and go out here and get everything that you want and get everything that your community deserves. So that's the biggest thing that I want, you know, the scholars to take away. Ooh, well, y'all, you heard it here. The election is April 6th. You have all of the info and you know what to do. Yes, thank you, Sippers. I already know I got y'all's votes, okay? And if you need to know anything else, you can go to aliciaforslps.com. Um, you know, let let me know. I have a public Facebook page. You can, like, DM me there. Obviously, y'all can also go to Black Tea's page and reach me. But, yeah, like, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I hope what the Sippers take away is just, like, I think it's important that they know that me and Jamie, you know, we have been on the show. I know we talked about Jamie being a part of the Reform STL. Like, I want you guys to know that we're not just, like, doing this show and talking to you guys every month when we're not recording when we're not playing planning when we're not booking guests when we're not doing promotion we're actually both maintaining our jobs and our different field interests but also like it's very integrated with politics and we really are involved in in this world and in this work and bringing you direct information and that's what black tea is all about yes it is it's women's history month amen and 
Sippers, the guest we're introducing to you this month is Walking History. Most people in the public know her from her spicy, informative tweets, from the Ferguson protester newsletter, from any of her various public reflections on the movement, or even from her latest appearance on TNT. I know her from the streets of Ferguson, from speaking truth to power since Ferguson and continuing to work and undo systematic racism and racial inequity in our, in our society. I've been super excited about this guest as I am anytime I can bring someone from the Ferguson family on. Our guest is the Janetta Elvie. Thank you so much for joining us, Netta, and thank you for the important work that you do. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, Netta, we are so excited to have you on our show today. Um, and so we'll jump right in. I know that you and Alicia know each other very well, and she told the audience some of the amazing things you're doing, but we want to give you a chance to talk to the audience as well. So what's something important that you want the audience to know about you that they may not know already from all the amazing things you've done? Um, I actually did this really cool thing with Complex once where I took them back to my old neighborhood, but... Um, I grew off of, grew up off of St. Louis, what is St. Cyr Road and um, Wayburn over there in unincorporated St. Louis County. But yes, shout out to them. Shout out to St. Cyr. <laughs> yeah, that's super important. And we I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what would be. <laughs> Like, yeah, know. you know, even because, like, you know, we like to get into all of it, so sometimes people only talk about, you know, people in terms of their work or the things that they're done, but, you know, you might think that there's something else that's super critical that makes Netta Netta that most people don't know or talk about, so we just wanted to, you know, give you an opportunity to maybe address that, but maybe we did great and we got it all right. Okay, well, yeah, shout out to 9649 Wayburn. Oh, I grew up. Um, I'll just say that. That's my favorite St. Louis fact. Right. Okay. And then one of the things that you're most known for is your activism work in, you know, from Ferguson and in the movement. Um, can you take our listeners back to that time? What was it like on the ground of Ferguson as an activist? And what inspired you to share what you were sharing, what you were seeing with the world? Uh, sure. So in 2014, um, my mother passed away January 31st. About two weeks after that, my really good friend, Stefan Avery Hart, was shot and killed by the St. Louis City Police behind his home. Um, in July, I decided to stop being depressed for my little sister, and she was about to be a freshman in high school at a white school. And when I went to my white school, I had my mama. Um, so I decided to be a better, try to be a better big sister, rush through some grieving stuff so I could come up from air. And then the following month, Mike Brown was killed um, on August 9th. I had just came home from running errands or something like that. And this lady that I follow on Twitter since 2009, her name is April. Um, she lives in Mississippi. She happened to DM me a picture from Pharaoh God's Twitter which was the picture of Darren Wilson's feet next to, to Mike's body. And he tweeted something like, I just saw this dude get killed or something like that. Um, April sent me the DM and she was like, Netta, something just happened. Um, she said, I don't know, but this just, this feels like a big deal. Um, and I was just reading it, reading it and trying to like search the internet, see if anybody else is talking about anything. 
Um, and it was just starting to pick up traction on Twitter a little bit. And then um, I remember Fox 2 News put out some article that described Mike as a man, something else that just really pissed me off. Um, because when I went to Southeast Missouri State, long, long time ago, I went for um, journalism and PR and mass communications. Um, so just very thoughtful of how people and writers describe Black people. So that just pissed me off. So I went out that first night with my best friend. Um, we went to Canfield. I saw some little toddlers say that they kept, I just kept hearing them say they saw Mike Mike get killed. And then I saw his blood because on Twitter there was a video of people trying to wash his blood away um, after he'd been slain there in the blood in the in the street in the hot street for so long. And I thought with like they were using soap and water and it was like people with um, like trying to scrub the bloody scrub the blood away. Um, so I thought by the time we got down there, at, like eight something, nine something, that it would be gone. But no, you can still see his blood underneath those streetlights. And it was just something about that. Um, I don't know. It was just like a moment where I was just talking to God, like, okay, God, if we come back tomorrow, just watch out. Like, watch us. Protect us. And so the next day we came and we went to the Ferguson Police Department um, where I wouldn't even call that a protest. I wouldn't even call the first six, six weeks of what we went through in Ferguson, a protest. I call that an, um, an occupation because we were occupied by so many different police forces, including the National Guard. Um, so that second day is where it became super personal because we were supposed to go just to, after leaving the police department, folks went in, you know, did whatever for a few hours. We were supposed to come back for a candlelight vigil. I never got to light my candle because by the time we were coming down the street, I don't know if it's Bermuda, I think Bermuda and West Florissant, by the time we were trying to make a left on West Florissant, the police had just completely taken over the street. It was my first time seeing um, full body armor. It was my first time seeing the, um, the tanks. It was my first time seeing M16s. I had to take pictures of the guns and put them on Twitter to ask all the vets who followed me, like, what kind of gun even is this? And then that was also the first night that we got tear gassed. And um, it was just something about that, like, something about St. Louis City Police using, and city, county, and state police at that point, using tear gas paid for by my tax dollars that really just pissed me off. Um, and I think it was just the fact that I kept seeing babies getting tear gas that pissed me off. Um, and we just kept coming back day after day after that. Um, so that's the long and short of how I got into what happened in Ferguson. Well, I mean, it's so powerful hearing you recount that story. Um, I know all three of us, you know, we're here and went through it, but just, you know, for our listeners, for anybody who doesn't understand that, um, I think it's just so powerful to hear that from your perspective with recognizing all the things that were also going on in your life personally, and then for you having to witness that happen in your city. Um, so definitely, definitely thank you for sharing that, that visceral story. Um, I want to talk about now kind of 
what what you have been doing in your work since that moment, since that fire was lit in you from what you witnessed in Ferguson. Um, I know you've helped launch an organization called Campaign Zero. So could you tell us more about the organization, how you started it, um, what motivated you and, and what you're working on with them? Uh, so we started Campaign Zero about six years ago, um, maybe. Um, <laughs> And it was just an answer to all these questions we would get. People are asking, what do you want? Um, what do you know? What can you prove? And so we just went with data. Um, Campaign Zero has an incredible data scientist named Samuel Sanawe on staff. He is a Stanford grad. The things Sam's brain does with numbers, I still have not seen someone else do this. Um, I love the way he thinks about numbers and how they pertain to Black people because white folks and white data scientists just naturally are not inclined to include Black people um, or use numbers in this way to tell a story like this. Um, sorry, I just got a phone call. Um, trying to think in the very beginning like when Obama was still in office and you had them trying to figure out well what do you want and you had like the local government trying to figure out what we wanted um the senators state senators anybody um so this was our answer we created a 10 point a 10 point policy plan on how to reduce police violence. We've since walked away from four of those buckets um, because time and research has proven that they actually are not effective or don't bring about that much of a difference positively or negatively. Um, some of our latest work has been around police union contracts. We've been on that since 2015, um, but lately there has been next to six, eight can't wait, and in all no knocks, three current campaigns that are running right now, all aimed at removing problematic provisions from police union contracts that allow the police to either um, give you an experience like what Breonna Taylor, what, what took Breonna Taylor's life in Louisville, or um, there's another family that we work with in Louisville where five of the same officers who actually were involved in the murder of Breonna Taylor were involved in the break-in on their home as well. And their home was the wrong house. They had the wrong address. Um, they held their children up with guns um, and traumatized an entire family and including the family's in-laws that live next door. Um, so it's a lot of like encouraging folks to come forward if you have if you live in a city or live in a town where you don't have access to your police union contracts, we teach folks where to look for that information. We put them in contact with experts like Peter Kraska, Dr. Peter Kraska out of Louisville. He's been doing research on no-knock raids since 1982. Um, he has also done a lot of research on the police militarization period and why this is happening. Um, and he also has actual proof and results as to how the police want this to change themselves, um, which is interesting because that's not a part of the conversation that we usually hear. 
Um, but he has the data and statistics to back up what the police would actually like to be spending their time doing. Um, and that's a whole different kind of conversation. But it is interesting to have all these different kinds of people in conversation together because I think most times when people are making policy decisions, they don't have community members in the room. And when community members are making their own decisions about what they want, they don't have policy folks or um, local government folks in the room, you know, because of mistrust and distrust. But it also helps guide where and what actually is possible. Um, so that's just a brief roundup summary of what we've been doing lately. I think that's interesting that um, he's been doing that work since 1982. And I also definitely, you know, I think any ways that we can go about holding, you know, police officers accountable, we should. And any ways that we can get, you know, any type of legal protections or anything to prevent what happened to Breonna Taylor or any of the other, you know, folks who have been murdered by the police, um, just as we can. So I was just glad to hear about, like, that kind of breakdown of it. And that kind of leads us into our next um, question. So one of the things being talked about regularly right now um, is this idea of celebrity activism. So for our sippers who may be unfamiliar with this term, um, a celebrity activist refers to someone who is an activist and does this work but has or is beginning to have celebrity level um, of name of recognition. We see it being discussed with everything going on um, with the mother of Tamir Rice and Tamika DiMala right now and it's been a popular discussion uh, for some time and so obviously Netta you've been doing this work um, on a high level for some years now um, and so I am curious like would you consider yourself to fall under what would be category what what is a celebrity activist to you would you do you consider yourself a celebrity activist and then what's just what's the hardest part of doing social justice work and having like such a large platform and your level of name recognition you asked me, do what do I consider a celebrity activist? Mm-hmm. And do you consider yourself um, to be someone who will fall under the c- category of celebrity activist? If you think that's a thing, you know, because this is such a, it's kind of a new term, and it is something that people have, you know, various opinions on. Um, and like in my mind, I know you as Netta because I know you from Ferguson, but I mean, you also do have, you know, a large platform. You've been on a, in a variety of spaces, and so I'm just curious too, like when you get to that level of like name recognition. And your work being known that well and for working on social justice as long as you have, what's the hard part and the hard challenges um, that come as a result of being having that level of like recognition? I don't know, Alicia. It's such a weird, <laughs> this is a weird conversation to be like, it's it's just weird. It's weird. I don't know. August 2014, um, I would have said no. But already in August of 2014, there was something that made me different. There was some article that came out. It's like the five people to follow from Ferguson if you want to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. It was me, Antonio French, Tef Poe, and some other random man I've never heard of. Um, and I think another person who I haven't seen since this article came out. So out of, in conclusion, there were three people that I can remember. Myself, Antonio French, and Tef. Tef and I are still around. I don't know where Antonio is. You know, I don't know what he's doing. Um, but there is something to it that there were four, four or five, four men listed and only me. Um, I left the house again. I went to school for journalism and public relations when I did go. 
Um, I've always cared about communications. I've always had, like, in August 2014, I had 2,000 followers on Twitter. I used to delete my Twitter account when I would get to 2,000. So this is my third Twitter account. Um, I will just say it is a choice to make. Um, at one point, when I got to 11,000 followers, <laughs> I was so irritated of having all these opinions and there were so many trolls and we were in the street, we were in the middle of getting tear gas or something flying in the air and like it's trolls on Twitter, like, you know, trying to distract me. Right. I was ready to delete my account. My partner at the time had to give me a speech and he's like, either A, you're going to do this, you know, be committed to it or delete the shit and let's go home. And so all my friends were still saying, so I stayed, we all stayed. Um, and so this all just happened to come with it. I don't really, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying, I don't, I don't know how I would describe celebrity activism in public. Um, and I do not think that that resonates with me. I don't even use the word activist. So that's not something that I personally use to describe myself. Um, because I don't relate to that word. I think it's a little too pretty for what happened in Ferguson. Um, so I always call myself a protester. If you look on my Twitter or anywhere else, it says protester, not activist. I think there's a big difference. So in that regard, um, I just think that I'm in a whole different lane to begin with. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a celebrity. And I am trying to use my voice and my platforms to do good. Um, and I'm I'm cool with that happy medium. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I know you as Netta. So I mean, I think it's interesting. I I feel like sometimes it's just comes what comes with the work for sure. I mean, there's other people that we we both know that like now they're like national figures. Um, but I just wanted to like get your thoughts on the situation. I also like saying that activist is too cute for for what we did <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I actually feel like a lot of us were still growing into, like, I do think we ended up becoming activists and organizers, but definitely probably definitely started as protesters. But eventually, and what I like so much about Fergus is I do feel like we did become organizers because we did keep one of the largest, I mean, we, we have one of the longest track records, longer than 365 days of consistently protesting and then consistently taking that to other areas in the city, for sure. Um, and then I also wanted to ask you this because I also think that a lot of times the reason that celebrity culture is attached to it is because people maybe only see the positives of, of what comes with having your name attached to that. But I know um, that there is also a lot of pressure. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of other parts that come with being at that level. So I was just curious about kind of like humanizing someone who might be at your level of rec recognition and acknowledging the other parts that come with that experience as well. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's how I describe myself. That's how I see myself. Um, I don't know how other people interpret it. I know a lot of my friends describe me just how you just did. You just met her. Like, uh, there's a lot of friends from back home that I don't even talk about the movement and protest with. I don't want to talk to them about the movement or protest. Um, it's, not, <laughs> it's not an everyday conversation that I'm trying to have anymore with certain people. Um, in some some cases, I do just want to be a normal person and just be myself. So 
it just depends. Like, if I want to be treated special, I'll actually say yes to one of these events, you know, and go. If I want to be a regular person, I stay at home. <laughs> so real. That's so real. And I think it's it, it's such a powerful thing to hear because you are such a powerhouse, but also, as you said, like, you just want to do good work for betterment of people at the end of the day, and that just happens to be what you do. Um, and to Alicia's point, you know, there's a lot that just comes with that, um, with the, the publicity of it in the social media age that we live in. So the last question that we have for you is just, we know you have this vision for doing good, um, particularly for Black people and, excuse me, the Black community. So could you talk to us about that? What's your vision for the future? What does a better world look like to Netta? My vision for the future and a better world for me is a happy and whole and healthy me first. Um, So my vision for Black people includes myself first, actually. Um, So I've been doing a lot of work on trying to get everything that I need, everything I feel that my my spirit is asking me to do, that's what I've been working on lately. Love to hear that. Um, and a lot of that is also just honoring that my attention is shifting. I'm not that, it's not that I'm not interested in, because if you're good at something, you can do it with your eyes closed. Mm. Or you can talk about it without even really thinking too hard, you know? Um and I'm in the mood where I want to think hard again about stuff. So I've actually been shifting my attention to more of the arts and my creative side versus um, always thinking, 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 and trying to outthink and 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 outmaneuver and outstrategize things and people and policy makers on this campaign zero side. So I've been thinking more about films and. Um, what artistic direction I want to take myself in. And I think that these, the products of the things that are sitting, my brain babies, as I call them, um, I think when my brain babies are ready to be born, it's going to be, I don't know, I just, I really feel it on my spirit. It's going to be everything I want it to be. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love to hear that. Um, I, I think that's so important. We talk about that a lot on the show about now the shippers know how I feel about mental health and caring for self. And I think especially with leaders in our community, one of the things historically that happens is, you know, um, we will pour from our cups until it is empty and we literally have nothing else to pour. And all the things that we've started to put into place, um, you know, we're no longer able to sustain. So I'm really happy that you are taking the time to take care of yourself and nurture some of your own passions. Because part of why our questions are because we, we know that you're a whole human being, you know, activism or organizing or protesting is like one of the things that you do. So I'm glad to hear that you're nurturing those other products. And I certainly love to see Netta on my screen. (laughs) Thank you so much, Alicia. You're so kind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and um, so by the way, uh, Alicia, you didn't even mention this. I work with Alicia too. Yeah. Yes, we do organize them together. Um, some of those that know not warrants police union contracts. And we just, I mean, we've had a relationship throughout the year. So um, whenever there's something one of us is working on that the other can help, like always, always willing to. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on the show. Hence, I'm on your podcast at 10 a.m. Eastern, okay? <laughs> so tired. 
On a Saturday, true love. On a Saturday. Alicia, if you don't know I love you, listen, <laughs> don't ever. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we are so glad that you came. I hope that you enjoyed your sip of tea. I did. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. Yes, you're welcome. And we'll definitely uh, let you know when everything comes out. We can't wait to bring this to the audience. Um, yeah, we just really appreciate you coming to do this on a Saturday because you didn't have to and just taking the time to talk to us anyway, especially for Women's History Month. Um, I really thought it was important that we, you know, we have you on the show, particularly for this month, because you have done and continue to do historic things and our movement forward. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Ha <laughs> ha 